We are reading today from Acts 12, 5 through 17, and I'm reading from the New Revised Version in a very large print, so bear with me. (laughs) While Peter was kept in prison, the church prayed fervently to God for him. The very night before Herod was going to bring him out, Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers while guards in front of the door were kept watching over the prison. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He tapped Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly, and the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel said to him, Fasten your belt and put on your sandals. He did. Then he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Peter went out and followed him. He did not realize that what was happening with the angel's help was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. After they had passed the first and the second guard, they came before the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went outside and walked along a lane, when suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hands of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. As soon as he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many had gathered and were praying. When he knocked on the outer gate, a maid named Rhoda came to answer. On recognizing Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that, instead of opening the gate, she ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, You are out of your mind, but she insisted that it was so. They said, It is his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the gate, they saw him and were amazed. He motioned to them with his hand to be silent, and described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he added, Tell this to James and the believers. Then he left and went to another place. The word of God for the people of God. Well, just a few days ago, I saw an obituary for somebody I used to know. Stephen Watkins was one of the directors at the Watkins Brothers Funeral Home in Perry, Michigan. And when I lived in Morris, which was the next town over from Perry, Stephen and I spent a lot of time working together. He was very kind and very gracious to a brand new pastor who was still trying to figure out how to write a good eulogy and how to care for families who were going through a time of grief. Stephen was also the person who taught me that if you can get a funeral director talking, you're going to hear some really funny stories. One of the things I learned from Stephen is that a lot of funeral directors have a great sense of humor in spite of what they, maybe because of what they do, a lot of funeral directors have a really good sense of humor. Maybe, maybe you have to have a good sense of humor. Maybe you have to be able to laugh if you're going to spend day after day working around death and around grief. Stephen told me a lot of good stories, and he and I also had some wild experiences together, including one funeral that I will never forget for as long as I live. Now, one day Stephen was the director for a funeral that I was invited to leave. A grandfather had died, and the family were very deep in their grieving. The service at the funeral home was a very somber and serious affair. People were holding on to each other and comforting each other, and there was lots of weeping and just a, a sense of heavy sadness over the whole, over the whole family. 
And then we made our way out to the cemetery. And the cemetery was out in the country. It was down a dirt road. And next to the cemetery, there was a great big field. And as we were pulling into the cemetery, I noticed that over in the field, on the other side of the field, there was a donkey. And the grave had been dug right up against the fence that separated the cemetery from this field with the donkey. And we all gathered around the grave and we started the committal service. And as we were were reading scripture and praying, the donkey decided that this was probably the best entertainment he was going to get all day. And so he made his way over across the field and joined us there at the graveside. At one point I was reading scripture and I noticed somebody kind of holding back a smirk. And so I looked over my shoulder and there was the donkey just a a few inches behind me. He He had plopped his head over the fence and he was listening very, very intently with a serious expression on his face, just like a just like a good Methodist donkey. And we made our way through the committal service, and then finally I got to the prayer at the end of the service, and so I invited everybody to close their eyes, and I started to pray, and it was just then, as I started to pray, that I heard a sound behind me. I didn't immediately recognize what it was. It took me a second to realize what that sound was. Now, I don't want to go into too much detail, And I don't want to be indelicate in this holy place on a Sunday morning. So here's what I will tell you about what was happening in that moment. It seems that maybe that was a Methodist donkey because apparently he had been drinking coffee all morning long. And and he chose that moment just as I started to pray to to relieve himself there there, uh, at the graveside. Well, when I realized what was happening, of course, I was, I was horrified, and I said, I cannot let the family realize what is happening just on the other side of this fence. And so I did the only thing I could think to do, which was to pray louder and pray harder and try to drown out the sound of what the donkey was doing just behind me. But the donkey realized that we were in competition, and so he also, he also did his thing louder and harder. Uh, And there came a moment as I approached the end of the prayer when I suddenly panicked and I realized I'm about to say amen. And when I say amen, everybody's going to open their eyes and then they're going to see what's happening. And the last image that this family is going to have from this day of grief and mourning is the image of this donkey watering the grass next to grandpa's gravestone. I can't let that happen. And so when I came to the end of the prayer where I was supposed to say amen, I just kept going. I started improvising. I prayed with everything that I had. I used every theological word that they taught me in seminary. I went back through all of the stories I could remember from the Old Testament and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed, but it was no use. I am here to tell you what that donkey did that day was truly impressive. There, there, is, there is not a racehorse in this world that could hold a candle to that, to that donkey. And of course, eventually the, the family caught on to what was happening. And, and as I was praying... I heard somebody giggle, and then I heard a chuckle, and then I heard a guffaw, and then I heard a snort, and just like that, the dam burst, and the floodgates opened, and the whole family fell out laughing, and there they were all standing around the grave, and they were still holding on to each other, but now it was to keep from falling down because they were laughing so hard. And of course, for a second, I was mortified, but then I realized that for the first time all that day, I finally felt the spirits lift, that, that weight of sadness finally for the first time all day long, had lifted from this family and they were taking their first step forward through their grief. I don't think I even finished that prayer. I'm pretty sure I didn't even say amen. I just let the donkey give the benediction. And 
And why not? Because that donkey had done more to carry that family through their sadness and he had done more to minister to them and heal their grief than I had been able to accomplish with all of my preaching and all all of my prayers that day. And I think that might have been the moment when I realized just, just what a powerful thing laughter can be. I think maybe that was the moment when I realized what a great gift from God laughter is. Laughter has got the power to carry us through our deepest grief and sorrow. Laughter has got the power to break the chains of sadness on our heaviest days. And and nowadays, I'm no longer surprised when I get together with a family and we're planning a funeral. I'm no longer surprised when those conversations involve lots and lots of laughter. Now I understand that our hearts in those sad and heavy moments, our hearts know exactly what our need, our heart what we need. Our hearts know just how badly in those moments of grief and sadness and fear, our hearts know how much we need to laugh. And I'm convinced that whoever wrote the book of Acts knew that too. So this morning in our scripture reading, we have this story from the the New Testament book of Acts. The book of Acts is the book that tells us the stories of how the church got started. In the book of Acts, we read the stories of the things that the apostles did after the resurrection of Jesus. And there is a lot of, of sad, scary, heavy stuff in the book of Acts. If you read the book of Acts, you're going to read stories of violent mobs and murderous empires. In the book of Acts, you're going to read stories about, about uh, horrible executions and martyrdoms and people who are tortured and imprisoned and there are shipwrecks and all sorts of scary things that take place in the book of Acts. And in spite of all of that heavy, sad, scary stuff, or maybe because of all of that heavy, sad, scary stuff, you will find as you read through the book of Acts, if you pay careful attention, that the book of Acts is also a really funny book of the Bible. Sprinkled all throughout the book of Acts, there are these moments of of light humor and comedy, moments that are meant to make us laugh. And I'll give you some examples. The book of Acts begins with the very first story, the story of the ascension of Jesus. Now, the story goes that after the resurrection, Jesus spent 40 days with his disciples. He spent 40 days teaching them the things that they were not ready to learn before they had seen a man raised from the dead. And then after 40 days of teaching the disciples, Jesus leads his followers out of the city of Jerusalem. He leads them to a place called the Mount of Olives. And there at the top of the Mount of Olives, Jesus says, now the time has come for me to return to my Father. But as for all of you, I am giving you a mission. You are going to be my messengers. You are going to be my apostles. I am sending you to proclaim the good news to all the nations, even to the ends of the earth. And after he has said that, Jesus floats up into the sky. And the disciples watch Jesus go. They watch until they can't see his toes anymore. And then they watch until they can't make out his feet anymore. And they watch until Jesus is just a tiny speck in the sky. And then they watch until they can't see Jesus at all. And even then, even when they can't see Jesus anymore, all of the disciples just stand there on top of the Mount of Olives, staring up into the sky. They stand there, staring up into the sky for so long that finally God has to send a couple angels who walk up to the disciples 
disciples and say, okay, guys, let's get going. What are you looking at? There's nothing happening up there. The mission is down here to the ends of the earth. Chop, chop. Let's go. And then the angels shove them off the Mount of Olives so they will start to do what Jesus told them to do. This image of all of the disciples staring off into space, this is meant to be a funny image. This is meant to make us laugh. In the very next scene of the book of Acts, we read about a meeting that all of the apostles have together. The apostles now realize that they've been given an important mission. They're not just disciples anymore. Now they're apostles. Now Jesus has sent them with an important message to proclaim to the nations. And they realize that it only seems right since there were 12 disciples that there should also be 12 apostles. But there's a problem because Judas is gone and now there are only 11 apostles. And so the apostles decide that they should get together and have a meeting and choose a new apostle so there will be 12 apostles. And so they gather all of the followers of Jesus together and they have this long meeting. They spend hours in prayer. Peter gets up and makes this long speech and finally they bring out two candidates, two people who everybody agrees would make excellent apostles and they ask them questions and they examine them and then finally after meeting and praying and speechifying for hours and hours, these two candidates stand in front of all of the followers of Jesus and they say, okay, now it's time for us to decide and then there's this moment of silence and finally somebody says, well, how are we going to pick? And somebody else says, flip a coin? And all the disciples say, yeah, flip a coin. That sounds good. And so that's what they do after hours and hours of wrestling and praying. They flip a coin and that is how they choose the new apostle. The book of Acts is filled with these moments of light humor. It is filled with these tiny, silly, goofy moments. And in our scripture reading today, we have one of the silliest, one of the goofiest of all of the stories we read in the book of Acts. Now, this story doesn't start out silly. It starts out scary. The story begins with King Herod, one of the great villains of the New Testament. And the story goes that King Herod has decided he wants to persecute the followers of Jesus. And so he has James, the apostle, the brother of John, arrested. And then he has James put to death. And that goes so well that King Herod decides he's going to do it again. And so he has the apostle Peter arrested and put in prison. And Herod is going to also execute Peter. And he is not taking any chances with Peter. He places Peter under heavy guard. Peter is chained to two guards, one on either side of him. There are two more guards standing just outside the door of his prison cell. The followers of Jesus cannot see any hope for Peter. They can't imagine any way in which Peter is going to be rescued. And so they do the only thing they can think to do. They all gather together and they begin to pray. They pray that God will work some sort of a miracle. And then the night before Peter is supposed to be executed, a miracle takes place. That night, in the middle of the night, all four of the guards who are watching over Peter fall into to a deep and heavy sleep. And then an angel appears and the angel says, Peter, get up and follow me. And Peter looks down and he sees that the chains that have been holding his wrists have fallen open. And so he stands up and he finds that the gate, the door of his prison cell is unlocked. And so Peter walks right out of the prison and he makes his way through the streets of the city. He goes to the house where all of his friends are gathered in prayer. And when he gets there, he finds that because it's the middle of the night, the door is locked. And so Peter knocks Knock, knock. And a young maid named Rhoda, who is just inside, hears the knock, and so she comes to the gate and she says, Who's there? 
And Peter says, it's me, Peter. And Rhoda doesn't say, it's me, Peter, who? Instead, she is so excited that Peter is here, that she has heard his voice, that immediately she turns and she runs into the house and she runs up the stairs to the upper room where all of the followers of Jesus are gathered together. She can't wait to tell everybody the good news. But by the time she gets to the top of the stairs, she's hyperventilating and she's lost her breath. And so she can't get it out. And the apostles can see that something important has happened. But Rhoda Rhoda is not able to tell them what it is. And so they grab her by either arm and they say, Rhoda, come on over here. Sit down in the chair. They begin to fan Rhoda. They say, Rhoda, take a deep breath. Tell us what it is. Tell us what has happened. And finally, Rhoda is able to catch enough of her breath to get the words out. She says, Peter is here. And the apostles say, what are you talking about? Peter, who? Peter is where? Peter is here. And it's in that moment that Rhoda suddenly realizes she was in such a hurry to tell everybody the good news that she forgot to open the door. And poor Peter has been standing there this whole time outside the door, knocking and saying, guys, hello? Is there anybody? Can somebody come and let me in? This isn't funny anymore, guys. And so finally they all go down and they let Peter in and they rejoice to see that he is alive and they rejoice to see that he is free. It is such a silly story. It is such a, it's like something straight out of a sitcom. And of course, that's exactly what it's meant to do. This story is meant to make us laugh. And just in case you missed the point, just in case you missed the purpose of this story, the writer of the book of Acts makes it very clear in the very next scene, the very next thing that happens after this silly story with Peter and Rhoda is this. We see King Herod and he is seated on a throne and he is surrounded by all of these people who are kissing up to King Herod and they are shouting his praises and they are shouting to King Herod how an awesome king he is and how amazing he is and how godlike he is and then all of a sudden we read these words and King Herod was eaten by worms and died and just like that one of the great villains of the New Testament is gone he no longer poses a threat to God's people and this is why these silly goofy funny stories are here in the book of Acts. They're there to make the scary stuff a little bit less scary. They're there to make the evil powers of this world seem just a little bit less intimidating. These funny moments in the book of Acts are there to remind us that we are resurrection people and there is nothing in this world that we need to fear. We have seen a man walk out of his grave. We have seen the triumph of God's love over death and nothing, nothing in this world can stop our laughter and nothing in this world can steal our joy. Let's pray. God, we pray. God, we pray that you would give us moments of laughter, moments of joyfulness, even as we are in the midst of death, even as we are in the midst of grief, even as we are surrounded by scary, heavy things. God, we pray that the world would hear us laughing and wonder, wonder about the reason for our joy. We pray that we would become known as your joyful resurrection people. That all the world might hear the good news. That your love has triumphed over sin and death. That all of the kings and empires and powers of this world could not destroy your love. And that your love will win out in the end. And you, you will laugh last. These things we pray in Jesus. Amen.